uh, our first slide there, Hannes. Um, just to bring that up, I want to give you a heads up really to something we're putting on in a few weeks' time or several weeks' time, April the 9th. Um, really, it's, it's for any who might be interested. We're not going to sort of say, you must come. It's nothing like that. We wouldn't do that anyway. But, but it's really for people who are interested. We're going to have a lunch and a few hours really exploring what prophecy really is, for exploring what the prophetic is. And we're calling it, you're more prophetic than you think. And this afternoon has come out of, I guess, many chats I've had with people, many of whom still struggle with the idea that prophecy really is for them, that they can prophesy. Or if it is for them, it's, how does God really speak to me? How does he speak to me? Maybe you've been sitting there today and you're thinking, yeah, well, well, that's me. I want to be more prophetic than I am. I want to grow in this area more than I have. And, and if that's you, then this afternoon, 12.30 through to 3 p.m. is for you. If you would like to explore what that looks like, what it means to hear God, what it means to share the heart of God too to others, then that's your afternoon. And it's going to be fun, I promise you. It'll be non-threatening, it'll be encouraging, and it'll explore different ways of hearing God. So if that's you, please come along. We'll mention it again uh, in a few Sundays' time. But it's really with that afternoon in, in, in our thinking that I wanted to revisit this subject today, what prophecy is. I wanted to just visit it, what it means to be a prophetic people. In a way, this is an introductory Sunday to that afternoon on the 9th. So it's an introductory talk, really, on what the prophetic is. And, and you see, I've thought about this, really. Uh, I, I wonder if at least part of the, the reason some of us struggle with prophecy still is because of what the word prophecy or prophet can conjure up in our thinking when we see how the prophets in the Old Testament behaved. Because there's no doubt about it, isn't there? Some of the Old Testament prophets, they are a little bit out there, aren't they? A little bit strange. Even some of the more famous ones. I mean, John already mentioned uh, Isaiah the prophet, a great prophet, probably one of the greatest, prophesied about the servant king, the coming of the kingdom, uh, the, the coming of the presence of God and his spirit. Um, but, you know, even he can surprise us at times. And so in Isaiah chapter 20, God says to Isaiah, the Lord spoke to Isaiah saying, Go, loosen the sackcloth from your hips and take your shoes off your feet. And he did so going naked and barefoot. And the Lord said, Even as my servant Isaiah has gone naked and barefoot three years as a sign and token against Egypt, so the king of Assyria will lead away the captives of Egypt, young and old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt. Now, um, that's a little bit out there, don't you agree? It's a little bit out there. It seems that for three years he walked around without any clothes on. Now, put it this way, if anyone here wants to come to the front in that condition and bring a word, you won't get the microphone, okay? Just to say that. In fact, probably you'll be herded outside rather quickly by some of the bigger guys in the room. It's a little bit out there. And there are other prophets the same. Jeremiah, I could talk about him, great prophet, there are one or two chapters, that's all I'm saying. You know, there's one section where he seems to take his undies and put them under a rock and then leaves them for a week or two and goes back to them again. I'm just saying, it's a bit strange. Ezekiel, Ezekiel, he's another one as well, great prophet. But in chapter 4, God, God, God speaks to him. He says, lie on your left side 
You are to bear their sin for the number of days you lie on your side. I've assigned you the same number of days as the years of their sin, so for 390 days you will bear the sin of the people of Israel. In other words, you're going to lie on your side for 390 days. Have you ever tried to lie on your side for longer than 10 minutes? Well, 390 days. I mean, don't try this at home. It's one of those kind of things. And then, after you finish this, lie down again, this time on your right side, and bear the sin of the people of Judah. I've assigned you 40 days a year for each, a day for each year. So, 390 days on one side, and then, oh, at last, oh, another 40 on the other. I mean... It's, it's a little bit out there. It's a little bit strange. Of course, Elijah, we know about Elijah. He's a bit extreme anyway, calling down fire from heaven. We think, well, that's remarkable, wonderful, fantastic. But, you know, even Elijah, I mean, he goes off and then he kills 450 pagan prophets. He's a terrifying individual. I, I don't think I'd want him in my connect group, put it that way. You know, Elijah's here tonight. Oh, he's a bit touchy. Uh, better watch out, I might get killed. You know, it's, it's, it's a little bit out there. So these prophets are, are pretty extreme. And so to the average Jew in the Old Testament, prophets or prophesiers were, were regarded as really an extraordinary handful of people on whom the Spirit came and spoke to. All right? A select, odd few. Certainly not ordinary folks like us. All right, and so in the Old Testament, you would discount yourself probably from prophesying or being a prophet. But of course, as many of us know, something happened to change that. All right, something happened. In Acts chapter 2, everything changed because the Spirit came to the church. It says there in Acts 2, you know the verses as well as I do. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes to the church. Not just to a select few, but to the church. And when Peter stands up to explain what's going on, he himself, he refers to an Old Testament prophecy in Joel. It says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, for this we'll read it, shall we? In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both women and men, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Amen. Excellent, Delhi. Yes, amen. Absolutely. In other words, with the coming of the spirit, everything has changed. And suddenly, instead of just a few extreme people hearing God, now everyone can, young and old, girl and guy. Everyone who receives the Spirit can hear God. And of course, the gift of the Spirit is for everyone. That's why Peter goes on to say in verse 39, this gift is for you and your children and for all who are far off. It's for everyone. And so from the day of Pentecost till today, that's the biblical expectation. All right, we should all be hearing God because, of course, to prophesy implies that you've heard God beforehand in order to prophesy. Yeah? 
So that's one of the reasons why all God's people can be expected to hear their God and to hear him speak. The Spirit has come. Now, now, of course, one of the other reasons we should all be expecting to hear from him, and we touched on this a few Sundays ago, actually, is because incredibly, incredibly, God has lowered himself and made himself a father to each one of us. That's what he's done. He is now our father. And you see, fathers and mums, by definition, they speak to their kids. It's what they do. It's an essential part of being a parent. It's what we do. And so, obviously, we read stories to our kids. We greet them in the morning. We laugh with them. We, we play with them. We sing to them. We discipline them. We guide them. We, we pass the time of day for them. It's what a parent does. And that's what's been set up for us. And so in John 14, Jesus says this, uh, that the, uh, for the one who will put his trust in, in, in Jesus, Jesus says the Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. In other words, God comes to make a home in you as a father who loves you. Now, I still think that needs to get through to us sometimes. The penny hasn't dropped yet, I think. I think many of us are still suffering under a tradition that believes that God is still some kind of cold judge, judging everything we do. I think many of us have come out of that tradition and it still overshadows us. It's quite funny, really. I, just the other day, I came across a famous postcard, really, or a picture that kind of reflects this. And it used to be in every home uh, in the old days. You may have seen it. You may even have it in your home. Do you recognize this one? God is the head of this house, the unseen guest at every meal, the silent listener to every conversation. Have you heard that one? Have you seen it before? It was very well known in the old days. And uh, now, please don't, be offended by this, but I, I, I kind of feel that postcards or pictures like that are really belonging to the old tradition that many of us have grown up with. I mean, where God is this unseen judge in my house silently staring at me and checking up on every conversation I say. It's a little bit creepy, don't you find? I, I think it's a bit creepy. Now in John 14, Jesus says, look, the Father who loves you will make his home with you. In other words, he is in you like a loving father in a home. That's the point. Not a creepy, silent judge checking up on what you say. Certainly that's the way I would be as a father at home. And at home, I, I, I certainly don't stand silently not talking to anybody. All right? I don't do that. You know, checking up on everybody, what everybody's saying, standing in the corner, silently watching. That's not what I do. No, by definition, I talk. In fact, some would say I talk too much. But um, I do all the things that we listed earlier that a parent does. And I have to say, I'm not a very religious father at home. I'm not very religious. I don't speak to my children in the King James English either. <laughs> I don't. Now, when I first gave my life to the Lord in the Assemblies of God Church, when anybody prophesied, they suddenly changed. You know, they, they suddenly got taller and they frowned a lot and boomed out in King James. Thus saith the Lord. And uh, I think, well, no, that's not what fathers do. 
Now, I'm not saying don't proclaim prophetically, of course, if that's what God is saying. But, but don't be locked into that. What Jesus is saying here is, look, the Father has moved in. We're here to talk, to relate to you. And that's what the new covenant brings. In the old covenant, of course, God was far away in a sense. He was unapproachable. Only one man every year, the high priest, could come before God one day and stand before him. And it was terrifying. But because the blood of Jesus has so thoroughly cleansed us from our sin, God is intimate. He's close. He talks. He's Father. That's the new covenant. So, so let's just be really clear then, since Pentecost when the Spirit came, and since God became Father and set up home in us, the biblical expectation has to be to hear God and to hear him regularly, often, and easily. Easily. That's what the Bible is clearly teaching us. Now, therefore, listen to this. If there's a blockage to that, if I am not hearing God often and easily, the problem isn't down God's end. right? We just need to be clear. Now, if we're not hearing, the problem is down our end. And it's helpful to know that because then we know there are things we can do to get the blockage out of the way. There are things that we can do. And so what I wanted to do in this kind of chat, really, is just to suggest a few of the obvious blockages that are out there so that we can be aware of them and get them out the way. Amen. Yeah, that's a good plan. That's what we're going to do. So, the first one, the first blockage, I think, is simply this. I put the word context, the context that we're in. Really, I put beside that spiritual noise all right that's our context spiritual clamor and by that i simply mean this that we are surrounded maybe more than at any other time we're surrounded by noise that competes with and hinders us from hearing god there's just so much going on out there sometimes i think it's a bit like this um feel free to pray for me at the end of the meeting but but i'm slightly hard of hearing so i'm slightly deaf in one ear and, and what that means is that in a room like this, if there's lots of chatter going on and lots of activity going on, you might be standing right in front of me talking to me and I still can't hear you because it's like noise to me. I can't distinguish the sounds. So if I'm standing in front of you looking somewhat glazed or a bit dumb, it's only because I probably can't hear you. And uh, the Helen Smith room is terrible. I never go out there if I can help it. I just can't hear. Uh, that's context. There's so much noise going on. And I think it's a bit like how it is today. I think, I think we're living in a world full of such activity, such stimulus, such stuff, that it can just be hard to hear God in the noise. There's such a lot going on, isn't there? At such a rate, don't you find? You know, whether it's exams or study or sports or entertainment or texting or WhatsApping, Facebooking, gaming, internet, YouTube, busyness, job deadlines, traffic, stress in the family, financial pressures and demands, it goes on and on and on. Man, we are bombarded by stuff in our day at such a rate, more than at any other time. There is so much noise around us. And you see, and you see it's not even as if a lot of this the noise is just background irritation or harmless. 
actually a lot of it, not all of it by any means, but a lot of it is quite anti-faith, actually. It's anti-God, a lot of it. Fleshly, the Bible would maybe refer to it as. Whether it's uh, some advertising, or some of the songs and the, the music that's out there, some of the art that's out there, not all of it, some. YouTube or gaming or TV or films. I mean, personally, my testimony is, if I'm honest, <laughs> a lot of it doesn't feed me spiritually. It just doesn't feed me. It kind of takes from me, don't you find? Yes. I mean, when was the last time you watched a good or a film on the TV and felt like, at the end of it, jumping up and shouting, Praise the Lord! <laughs> Shortland Street, Praise the Lord! <laughs> no, I don't remember the last time I did that. I have to go right back to the early days of Ben-Hur when, when I watched that and, and I shouted at the end, praise the Lord. It's just, you don't, because it just kind of saps you. It takes away from you. And I find this sometimes. I watch a film, I get up and I kind of feel, meh, more than praise the Lord. Why? Because it just kind of saps you. In fact, these days, I don't know, I find that I can watch a program or a film and it starts off innocently enough but you know what it's like? Suddenly, it changes and you find yourself going down another path. And I think, I didn't want to go down there. That's part of the noise. And then we wonder why we feel spiritually flat or cynical or a bit sceptical. And we wonder why we don't hear God. You know, Paul says something really interesting in Galatians 6. He says this, A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Hallelujah. Now, what it really means by that is if you give yourself to fleshly or worldly things, then inevitably something is taken from you. Somehow life or spiritual vitality is sucked away. We receive a bit of death. That's what it means to sow. Some things do that. And then Paul goes on to say this, though. He says, but whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap life eternal. Amen. And it's not just talking about longevity there, eternal life. It's talking about quality. In other words, if you give your focus to things that are godly, you will receive life and spiritual vitality. In other words, folks, if we really want to hear God more, we may just need to make some choices where we sow. It's as simple as that. What we give our focus to. I mean, going back to my hearing problem, look, if I'm trapped in a hall like this and we're talking, and many of you will, 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 will know this anyway, if we're talking, often I'll say, please, can we just leave this room and go outside so I can hear you? And I've said that to many of you over the years. Can we just, look, this is too important. Can we please go outside? And what it's meant is just shutting the door on the noise in the hall so I can hear your voice. And uh, that's what it's like, really. That's what we need to do. Most often, what I'll do is say, let's just get out of here. And we just need to be good at shutting the door sometimes. Closing the door on noise, on the things that sap us and focusing on what feeds us spiritually. I think we need to be good at doing that. Get into a place to hear. So remember, the problem isn't down God's end, it's down ours. So let's get out of the noise. That will be the first thing. And you will know what that means. You know what leaves you flat, and you know what leaves you energized spiritually. 
We may come back to that in a moment. Now, if you were to ask me, Pete, what is a good place to go to here then? All right, if I'm going to shut the door on noise over here, where do I go to here? Give me a, a practical pointer. Well, to answer that, let me direct you to the second thing that blocks us. All right, the second thing that stops us whoops, hearing from God. The second blockage I put to you is this. No, it's not the Bible. Um, it's our attitude to this. All right, that's what I meant. It's our attitude to this. It really is. Now, we'll be talking about this more detail in a few weeks' time for those of you who turn up on the 9th of April, but I just want to make a point this morning, and it's simply this, that this book isn't just a book about who God is. Now, it is that, but it's more than that, isn't it? Nor is it simply a book about how to get to know God. It's certainly that, but it's not just that. It's more than that, too. As Jack Deere says, a great scholar really on these things, he says, Look, listen, the most common way the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus and speaks to us today is through the Bible. Right? It's through the Bible. In other words, this book is the prime means God uses to speak to his people and it's the greatest place to hear God. It really is. And so Paul says over in 2 Timothy, Paul simply says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And that phrase, God-breathed, it's a powerful Greek phrase. It means all scripture is breathed out by God. It has the breath of God in it. In other words, it's more than just print on a page. It's more than just a how-to book for life. It's a treasure trove of words breathed out by God. That's what your Bible is. And that's not just past tense. God is still breathing on it. So Hebrews 4 says this, All scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, so Ephesians 4, the word of God is what? Living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Bible is alive. The word of God is living, not was living, is living, the voice of God is still speaking through it. And let me tell you, as he speaks through it, it can be life-changing. And there will be many examples that we could all bring to this. Actually, I came across an example just the other day that really makes the point. I'm going to ask Julian just to come up and read this wonderful short testimony of the life-changing power of the Word of God. Okay, thanks, Julian. Dorothy is a woman I know who was sinking into suicidal despair. She came to church on Easter Sunday hoping to find an excuse not to take her life. She listened to a sermon on Luke 24, but nothing about it gave her any hope. That night she stood in front of the mirror to say goodbye to a life filled with suffering and despair. As she prepared to commit suicide, a text of scripture from the morning sermon rose up in her heart. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory. Luke 24, verse 26. That was it. First the suffering, then the glory. If she ended her suffering by her own hand, she might miss the glory later. If Christ suffered before he came into his glory, then so would she. She put down the pills 
and picked up the Bible. The voice of God not only surprised her, but it completely drowned out the demonic voice asking her to take her life. Such is the power of God's written word, and such is God's commitment to use it in our lives. Excellent, thank you. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. The Word of God is living and active. Living and active. Let me tell you, uh, in all honesty, I've never been as desperate as that lady has. I've never been at the point of, of suicide, uh, in all honesty. But let me tell you, I have been, there have been many, many times when I've been in desperate and dark places. Uh, I, I can think of hospital corridors or weeping over friends or family uh, dying in front of me. I've certainly been in times of great blackness. Uh, I've also uh, struggled with my own failures and disappointments of which there have not been a few. Uh, that's just the reality. But my testimony is this, that I have turned to the book, the Bible, that book over there, and God has spoken to me and given me hope and faith and power and guidance to overcome. He has spoken to me in times of terrible, terrible darkness. That's my testimony. It'll be the testimony of many others here too. And even just in the day to day, I find God continues to speak to me often, daily through his word. Whether it's a psalm that comforts, this morning as I get up, I go downstairs with my Bible, I open it, I begin to pray, I read a psalm and I find God is already speaking to me about his love and his compassion and his mercy and his grace. Whether it's a promise that leaps off the page or a verse that directs my path, God speaks through this book. The apostles themselves understood that. The mere fact that Peter goes to the Joel prophecy in Acts 2 shows that he knows God can speak to him through the word of God, through the Old Testament scriptures. And so he does. The most common way the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus and speaks to us today is through the Bible. That was the quote. It's where faith comes, sometimes even above and beyond my understanding. You know, I love reading the last book of the scriptures, actually. The last book of the Bible, which is, of course, the book of Revelation. Now, who here understands everything written in that book? Please put your hand up. If you do, can I talk to you afterwards? Because... No, none of us fully understand that last book of the Bible. Yet I love the verse in the first chapter of Revelation, verse 3, it says this, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Right? Blessed is the one who reads out the book. Revelation. You know, one day I put that to the test. And so for several hours I locked myself away in a house somewhere and I, I started from the beginning and I worked my way all the way through to the end just reading it out loud. Now, by the end of that time, did I understand the book? No. But I tell you what, I mightily encountered God. God spoke to me profoundly. I found myself at times on my knees in tears or standing up praising God and punching the air. I found myself overwhelmed again and again as God spoke to me through his scriptures. It was a mountaintop experience. God speaks through this book, the Bible. He does. So look, if your view of the Bible has become, well, it's just something to bring to church or an app on my phone, 
or by my table at night or on the bookshelf along with the other various other versions I have, then you're missing out. Don't be surprised if you don't hear the voice of God much. On the other hand, if you want to hear him more, take it up and read. Shut out the noise and read. It's carefully, prayerfully reading through. It's the greatest place to hear the voice of God. Wonderful, wonderful. Shut down the noise and open up the book and prayerfully read through it. It is God speaking. It is a place to hear God. Folks, can I just say as I close, the Spirit has come. Right? It is. It's true. And the Father is speaking. The Spirit has come and the Father is speaking. You are more prophetic than you think. If you want to hear him more, it may simply be time to make some choices, time to shut the door on some things, and to move into the place where you know God speaks. Move into his word. Time to take up his book and treat it as it really is. As we do that, we become a people who hear God and a people who can impart the word of God to others all around us to a world that is locked in futility and dying without him. That's our call, to be the people who speak the word of God to a dying world. Let's stand, shall we? Let's just stand.